This episode of Hockey Press Pass is presented in part by the Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village. Unplug your game. Buy board games. Play board games. Food and drink. Fun. And friends. Jeff Marrick, name three players you followed in Canadian junior hockey over your over the years that turned out to be some of the most surprising success stories in the NHL. Uh, the first one that comes to mind is Andrew Brunette. So Andrew Brunette, who I saw playing uh, plenty in the early '90s with the Owen Sound Attack of the OHL, great hands, gifted goal scorer, but had the heavy, heavy boots. So we all said the same thing. He'll be a great junior player, but he won't be able to skate in the NHL. Guess again. The other would be, I'll go to another Owen Sound player, uh, Mark Giordano, who actually never drafted in the uh, the NHL and was one of the rare players to ever go, ever leave their NHL team, go to the KHL, and come back better. Weird how that happened. Well, throw Giordano in there. Good, good defenseman. No idea he was going to be a Norris Trophy winner uh, when he played in junior. And... The other one, I would probably have to say Andre Palat in Drummondville, who would have been a seventh-round pick of Tampa. Like, another, like, good junior player, but you never saw him. Like, hey, one day this guy's going to be like a miniature version of Marion Hosa or a miniature version of Henrik Zetterberg. Those would be, those would be, the, oh, that, Steve Thomas, mm. who played with the Marlboros as well. Again, another undrafted player. Um, those would be the ones that come to my mind. But I'll, I'll tell you one thing. The one player who I thought, and he had like a lot of personal problems and a lot of now that we have more education about what people go through, we understand a lot better. Um, someone I thought was going to be a can't-miss superstar. He's the best junior player I ever saw was Brian Fogarty, who played defense with Niagara, who could take over games like I've never seen before. Like It must be a nice feeling, Chris, just to be able to play a hockey game and say, I'm going to score four points tonight, and you do it. I'm going to dance this entire team, and you just go and do it. Like it became obvious fast that hockey was really easy uh, for Brian Fogarty. Unfortunately, a lot of, a lot of substance issues and a lot of, you know, personal issues, I would imagine, although undiagnosed mental issues as well. So God rest his soul. Brian Fogarty was my guy. Oh yeah. Uh, Steve Thomas, certainly uh, a special one for me. Got to see him in action. We'll come back to that later. Our guest is Jeff Marrick of Sportsnet Hockey Night in Canada. Um, you know, the host of the Jeff Marrick, Marrick Show, co-host for Elliot Friedman of 32 Thoughts, the podcast, or author of the great new blog, Rink Fries, and in my view, one of the real trailblazers in this industry when it comes to podcasts and taking different approaches in the broadcast world. Thank you so much for finding time tonight to do this, Jeff. Whenever one of my favorite people in the world, Chris Spada, sends me a text, I answer and do what he says, so I'm... Only too happy. I, I'll tell you what, Chris. I miss our conversations. I when appreciate you're, it. When you're with the Isles, I still, my, my favorite, just so your, your viewers know, and they may already have heard the story from you. You know, I, I don't know whether it should be framed and hung up uh, in, in, in every uh, NHL rank, but your press release of general body soreness describing Rick DiPietro to me is still a Picasso. 
know, there's two things you can paint in this world. You can paint a Picasso or you can paint a barn. Most of us paint barns. You, sir, painted a Picasso with that one. I remember calling you, I'm like, Chris, are you serious? Went, yeah, yeah, you like that one, Merrick? You like that one? I will I, not be playing with general body soreness. Beautiful I will, I will give a, uh, I will give at least a one third credit. Like it's a John Lennon song. I'll, t- I'll be Lennon, but I'll give McCartney, uh, Teddy Nolan, uh, a third credit for that. Somehow we started talking yeah. about that and GBS, but that's that's the true story how that came about. Jeff, over the last couple of days, I've uh, I've always watched you and listened to you, but I've listened uh, to a lot of things lately. And the thing that just strikes me about your style is your poise. I think of Gretzky behind the net. You, okay. you, you are not, and this is, this, is, uh, this is praise. You seem to, in, in no matter what the situation, funny, dramatic, serious, light, uh, you have this poise and you listen. Is that something that comes naturally? that can be taught, was developed going back to when you did wrestling shows and worked in the OHL, you know, that has to come with some experience, but where does it come from, Jeff? So I live with, I live by one very simple motto when it comes to a lot of what I do or, or how I live. I've got a frame in my office home, I got this frame quote, um, it's actually in Kanji, it's an Alan Watts quote. It's an old Taoist saying, it says, unlearn something daily. And the full quote, I believe something along the lines of the man of the university learns something daily, the man of the Tao unlearns something daily. I find that I get this, you know, the older that I get, the more I want to unlearn what I learned so I don't get too married or, you know, so the, uh, so the concrete doesn't harden around me and I become rigid and stiff. And I think the only way I can do that is one, um, to maintain a healthy level of curiosity. And that's just like, I've just always been a curious person. Um, and, and, and two, always try to listen so you can challenge your beliefs and unlearn everything that you've always assumed and always question all of your assumptions. So if in fact what you're saying is true, and I, I don't know about the Gretzky behind the net because that's, that's, that's high rent district, but, uh, that, and that ain't me. I just think it's because I try to unlearn things and I, I try to listen as much as I can because I'm curious, man. I'm curious about every, like I go into every conversation even with this one right now, I'm thinking, okay, Chris knows something that I don't. How can I get that out of him? That's why I go into every conversation. So I'm going to switch to Beyond, uh, the Beyond Borg of tennis and, and how he played. And I'm sure you watched uh, Mr. Borg, the great one. Um, when you were doing postgraduate work and yep. studied English at Guelph, you've now, this is your 10th anniversary, give or take a year at, at Sportsnet. Yeah, tenth. Yeah, two thousand. Good for you. Because yeah, it would have been two thousand eleven after the Vancouver Boston final. Is this what you always wanted to do? No, I have no idea. This is, I uh, Chris. This is a completely accidental career. I assure you. I did not go to school for any of this. I wasn't trained for any of this. So any criticism anyone wants to send my way about why do you deserve being there? Or how did you get this spot? It is a completely legitimate criticism because I got lucky. I was in the right spot at the right time. I've always just been a hockey fan. I've always just someone that enjoyed hockey. I wanted to be a like a tenured prof, you know. Like I wanted to read books, mark papers, you know, conference hop, you know. <laughs> like that was that was going to be my thing because that's what I that's what I really enjoyed. And then one, so it's amazing how your life just sort of turns on at that. One summer, I took a job at a sports radio station in Toronto, the Fan Five Ninety. 
then I think it was actually the Fan 14. No, it was 590 then. Uh, in promotions, like the lowest, like I was like the guy handing out tickets on the street and handing out promotional items at various restaurants. That was me. And then uh, I put off going to do my master's and I kept saying, oh, I'll go back next year. And then you sort of go up the ladder a little more. Oh, I'll go back next year. Somewhere along the way, I stopped saying I'll go back. And this became a career that I've somehow cobbled together. But I, I assure you it's quite accidental. And I earned exactly none of it, Chris. So I will accept and embrace all criticism about how I don't really belong. Uh, well, okay. Um, we've spoken to play-by-play announcers like Howie Rose and um, Kenny Albert about preparation, but we've yet to speak to a studio host. So let's not, maybe not the, the Marrick show or the 32 Thoughts, but if you're hosting a, uh, the half hour or the pregame, a Hockey Night in Canada or something like that, what, what's, what's your approach to preparation? You know, I've always prepared like an analyst. I've always kind of, because I've, I've always had this motto that I might have this idea in my head that I, 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 I'm not the best broadcaster in the world. Like, I ain't going to be Kenny. I'm not going to be Ron McLean. Like, I'm not, gonna, I, I'm not that good. But no one will outwork me. Like, the only thing that I can really hang my hat on is I won't be outworked and I, 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 and I won't back down from a challenge. So I kind of prepare like an analyst and always try to think to myself, okay, you try to fit people into their sort of right places. So depending on who you're on set with, you know, what is this particular person particularly strong with? And I try to also make sure that you don't put anyone on your panel in situations where they're going to end up looking bad. You just want to, you just want to feed them fastballs right down the middle. Like big juicy fastballs that, you know, like as, as soon as the batter hits it, they kept, the pitcher's just calling for another ball from the off. Like no one has to turn to watch the ball because it's left the yard. There's no point even looking. Like that's that's what I think. Like I try to figure out what the strengths and weaknesses are of everybody around me, and make sure I'm putting them in positions where they can succeed, feel good about themselves, and I, I just try to prepare like an analyst. So if anyone's short on something to say, I can color it in. And you know what? It's the safest way to go to set because you know you've done your you've done your prep and your analyst prep at the same time. Uh, uh, part, that makes any sense. yeah, no, absolutely, um, and I'm sure it takes uh, plenty of time. Uh, whether it's Elliot Friedman or the Marek Verse Wyshynski show, is that you? Is it Marek Verse Wyshynski? Is that or V? I yeah, MVSW yeah, Marek Verse Wyshynski. I don't even remember how we came up with that. We just throwing around goofy ideas, and that one kind of stuck. But a part. I saw Greg, I saw Greg today. Oh. I'm in Florida right now for the board of governors. Spent the afternoon with Greg. Mm-hmm. It's always good catching up. Yeah, and we had a good, uh, great talk with him too. He was awesome. But I wanted to go to the the subject of partnerships. Yeah, you, know, you are a good. Okay. They're good partners. They're great partners. Uh, you're a great partner. Is that something you take particular pride in? Being a teammate in that one one to one with a Greg, with an Elliot, with all the other people you work with. Yeah, that's. I've always been. Um, you know, doing the radio show, it's just sort of me barking it out for a couple of hours with various guests, which has its own challenges. Which I, I, I kind of like the freedom uh, that comes along with that. But I've. I mean, Chris, you've known me for a long time. Um, I've always chosen conversation over confrontation. Like I'm not someone that wants to, you know, do traditional talk radio 101. You know, pick an issue, dig in your heels, yell and scream, and go to the phones. Like there's a spot for that. There's people dig it. It's just not my thing. Like I, I much prefer 
conversation to get you to a place that is, you know, generally revealing more information or betraying emotion, whatever, whatever it might be. Um, so I think that's why I kind of, in my mind, maybe yours as well, I tend to work better with a partner. And that's why doing this radio show now, two hours solo, is is a lot of fun because it's got me out of my comfort zone. Did so you? I dig that. And I always say to myself, like, if I can't, so if a, you know, it's like if a guest bails and you're on the clock, like the authority of time is ticking and you got 15 minutes to get the break. And guess what? It's just you and your brain and the microphone. I've always said that, you know, if I can't do that, if I can't tap dance or talk through a thought for 10 or 15 minutes, I don't belong here. But I've never challenged myself to find out if that's true. And now I'm challenging myself to find out if that's true or not. But yeah, I take, I take pride in the, the, I don't know, the art of conversation sounds so pretentious, but I think you know what I'm getting at. Like, I do take a lot of pride in this. And with Elliot, did you ever have to work with him, work with each other on chemistry? You guys have a really good chemistry. Known forever. That, uh, show, that, are, that yeah. show works. So you've known him forever. Going back to the score? Yeah, and... No, I've, I've, he went to Western, I went to Guelph. Um, uh, I went to the better school, Elliot, if you're watching. Um, but when I started at the fan back in 95, it would have been Elliot, Elliot was there. Um, and then in 97, a computer showed up in the producer's office and Elliot was the only one who knew how to use this strange thing called the internet. Um, so I've known Elliot for my entire professional career. So that's, that wasn't something that like, okay, boys, we got two weeks to figure this out. That was, that was instant. I want to ask you about the challenges of the last couple of years, especially the last year or so. And I actually don't mean the pandemic and remote work and things like that, uh, but the, the social justice issues, uh, the Kyle Beach issues, the things that have come up in the NHL. I was really struck by the podcast you did with Elliot after Gary Bettman, Bill Daly's press conference, because it was you kept on saying it was riveting. You kept on saying, I think they have to do it over again. I, I, by the way, I think Elliot kind of led with that, if I remember. Yeah. And I, it, 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 I was moved by it because I, I, there sometimes there's nothing left to say than, hey, maybe you should take another shot at it. So when I talk about the challenges of the last year, and let's remember we're not coal mining here. We're not, right? This is broadcasting. But has it been... Uh, tough to navigate or have you find, found yourself having to continue to educate yourself as you said earlier in the show yeah, uh, totally. walk me through that a little bit Jeff I, th I think we all have Chris I think we've all grown I think we've all had to learn a different language I think we've all had to you know I think we've, we've, we've we, I think we've had I think the, the, the best of us have had to learn how to cut people slack and understand that you know how the heart feels is sometimes not how the head speaks. Um, I think that we've all had to. I mean, sports is the great escape, right? Sports is the I'm going to turn off life and I'm just going to jump into sports here. And you know, it's kind of like when you look at a painting. I've always maintained that you know the frame is really underrated because the frame tells you where the art stops and life begins. And we've always been in the painting, but right now. The frame has been removed and life is bleeding into our sort of sports painting. And I know a lot of people are scared of the conversation or scared of saying the wrong thing, scared to offend people, might feel like they're not equipped 
to deal with things adequately. And that presents a whole new level of stress for broadcasters. To your point, you know, no one's got no one's got calluses on their hand, calluses on their hands from their work. No one's coal mining here. When no one's going to feel sorry for a broadcaster that struggles with a very human issue, and I understand that. But I think what we found is um, that as an industry, we're not as prepared as we might have thought we were to deal with very real social issues. And I think there's an education process that everybody is going through. And especially, and I think it's an important one too, because the next wave of sports fan, you know, this is what he or she is interested in. It's not just, you know, goals, assists, penalty minutes. It's, it's, you know, how are you making your league better for human beings? What are you doing, you know, to make sure that they're, you know, that, um, you know, equity seeking groups have a voice in your sport. This is foreign to a lot of people. Um, I've had to learn a lot. I'm sure I made mistakes along the way. I mean, Elliot's learned a lot. I'm sure he's made mistakes along the way too. I think um, that the last, you know, last 18, well, last two years really have been challenging for everybody. And there's been a lot of stress placed on people. And it's a very high pressure tightrope act that when you're out there broadcasting and you're dealing with the subject that you, whose language you don't really comprehend yet, I mean, it's, it's, it's fraught with booby traps. I mean, there are landmines everywhere. Um, again, no one's going to feel sorry for us. Um, it's been a challenging time for everybody, I think, but it's been a, a learning experience. And I think a really, it's been a really important one so we can, you know, understand or at least try to understand what other people go through, which is why, you know, empathy is probably Empathy is probably the emotion you use to learn the most because it forces you to put yourself in someone else's position. You know, I've, I've always felt that, you know, we sort of look down our nose at, um, at empathy, but I think it's a, I think it's a, it's one that really you know, teaches you the most because if you, know, if you can feel a genuine empathy towards someone else, you can't help but learning what they're going through. Is it ever going to be hundred percent authentic? No, because you haven't walked a mile in their shoes but still at least trying to brings a greater understanding. And that ultimately, Chris, is a good thing for all of us. I hope that that made sense. Absolutely. And I, I want to get to this. So after, uh, in the wake of uh, the bat press conference that Batman had, I did a small podcast. I'm, I'm a former team executive out here on Long Island. A few people heard it, and it was just my thing was that it was not that Gary Batman should be gone but that Gary Bettman should start to think about what's next because I think it's going to take for all the sports leagues a different kind of commissioner to be that front person uh, for a league as we continue to evolve and learn and, and show empathy. And But your podcast, like, sure, I could say that I think somebody else should be in the position eventually. You're Jeff Marrick and Elliot Friedman, and yes, you work for a rights holder, a partner, and you're saying... Yeah the thing was so bad that they should do it all over again. So my question is, do you hear from the league after that? Do you have to think about what they think about it? I have my own opinion on that, and I actually would like to talk about that, but I'm just wondering how it is as somebody who has to navigate this for a rights holder. Um, no, I mean, our, our company didn't say anything about it. Like there, was, there wasn't you know, any idea about spiking the podcast. There was uh, there was none of that. I think that that was like not not just us, not just me and Elliot, but like there was like 
industry wide and fan wide. I mean, that was, I mean, everybody was on the same page about that one. That wasn't, wasn't the NHL's finest moment. Um, and I, I think, you know, if you catch them at an honest moment, maybe years down the road, they'll look back on it and say, you know, we probably should have massaged that better. Some things we probably should have said, maybe we should have brought someone in to consult us with, you know, how to handle um, this type of situation when we're putting ourselves out there. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't the best possible, but what it, what it did was it, it showed that, you know, that as much as when you're the commissioner of the NHL, your number one job, like the reason Gary Bettman was hired, and Chris, you know this from your time in the NHL, is to raise franchise values. Very early in my career, you know, Jeff, never lose sight of one fact. Gary Bettman's job, his number one job, and you can make there even his only real job, is to raise franchise values. Um, and that worked fine from about 1993 to a few months ago. But now that job is so all-encompassing and has a whole bunch of new layers on top of it. It is going to take a new type of executive to be able to handle that role. That's not a shot at Gary Bettman. That's just the reality of what, the, what a new commissioner needs to have in his or her pockets. I mean, it's become an even, you may even make the argument, Chris, that it's just too much for one person, right? Maybe it's just, Maybe at, at that moment, perhaps, um, it shouldn't be, you know, Gary Bettman talking. Maybe it's Kim Davis who speaks uh, at that point. I, I don't I don't know. I, I know that, I know Gary Bettman likes to, and understands, and you see it every year when he hands out the cups and he absorbs the booze, he still takes it because he knows this is the role of the commissioner. So I know that inside, he knows, like, this is my role, so I've got to get out in front of it. I respect that. I respect someone who understands the obligations of their position, understands that, you know what, I'm very well compensated for this, so I'm going to do it. But I think it really showed that there's a whole other skill set that the next commissioner, whomever he or she is, is going to have to have because this is a new reality they're all living with now in, in pro sports. I agree with you 100% and I love the idea and I uh, raise it as well about like yeah it's not a job for one person it could, it could be somebody else uh, and I just wanted to follow up on on, on the rights holder issue I, I always found I'm going to talk about the let's, let's use the NFL as an example there's a perception that ESPN is going to take it easy on the NFL because they're a rights holder and they want to keep them but I find that, and this might be totally ignorant of me, Jeff, but ESPN pays them a gazillion dollars for CBS or Fox. Right. And then on top of that, they have to be nice to them. So I think you kind of know what I'm getting at, right? Like I, yeah. I, I talked to Ray Ferraro about this a little bit. I think in some cases it's common sense. But again, is that, not again, you know, you're one of those people at the kind of at the controls of the, of the ship when you're on the air. Is it something you ever think about or feel like you have to be careful? Or is it common sense that you, well, we're always going to ask, in this case, the NHL, what's their side of the story? So I, it's a very interesting question. And it's one that I've thought about a lot. Um, the reality of all, and I always say this to everyone, it's like, oh, you know, you're the rights holder. You have to tiptoe around the NHL. 
And, you know, you look at, you know, are they going to give the, the TV rights to Rogers or to, to Bell, right? And, you know, you know, TSN will, you know, request that and we'll do some very revealing pieces. Um, and so you say, okay, well, I'm sure the NHL is not happy with that. The NHL will use each other for leverage during any negotiation. So I don't think that ultimately, to be honest, I don't think that ultimately it, it really matters. Because at the end of it, they're going to try to cut the best deal for the league that they can, regardless of who has said what about them. So I've always had that, Chris, like in the back of my mind, like no matter what I say here, the real business of this relationship gets done a million miles over my head, a million miles over my head. And no matter what I say or what someone at TSN says, it doesn't matter. The two sides will be pit against one another to, you know, to, 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 to drive up the rate that the NHL gets in their negotiations. So that's, that's the, the one thing that sort of guy, I've always tried to remember that, that hold on a second here. They're not shutting anybody out because it goes against their best interest and their best interest is to get the most money for their TV rights. That's how I go into broadcast thinking. Hey, I'm glad you say that. And it's funny, I was just thinking, you know, Rick Westhead, everybody knows has done this amazing work, like Katie Strang at yep. The Athletic. Rick, yep. works, work, Rick works for TSN. Do you think six years from now or whenever the rights are up, forgive me, I'm not a sports business journal anymore, I don't know, um, that, that if the company that owns TSN offers a lot more money, you think Gary Bettman or whoever's in that chair now is going to be like, yeah, but Rick really beat us up on all those issues back then, right? That no, you know, you know why? Because as, as we just mentioned a second ago, Gary puts that all aside to do what's right for business. Gary, I mean, how many times have we said, you know, maybe Gary shouldn't hand out the Stanley Cup because it turns into a bad moment with all the booze, but he doesn't care because he knows it's right for business because that's what the presidents before him, now it's the commissioner, have always done. He understands the title and he's very well. I mean, it's, it's always said like the higher up you go, the more criticism there is. I'll give him credit. Like he understands that. And that guy takes a ton of bullets and got the job in 92 and officially became commissioner in 1993. It's a long time, right? And that's a lot of bullets to take. So ultimately, I don't think that, you know, his personal feelings about anything that I said anything that had said and let that cloud his judgment on um, uh, on what he's gonna he's gonna pull off more hockey press pass with chris bada and jeff merrick next hey guys it's producer pat boyle and i want to tell you about instat hockey instat hockey offers the largest statistical data and video library of players teams and leagues worldwide their work is trusted at every level of the game by coaches, scouts, players, and of course, members of the media like the people we spotlight each week on Press Pass. There's no better choice than Instat to help in the evaluation of games and individual players. The Instat hockey platform saves the user hours of time watching game film as team and player statistics are pre-cut into separate playlists, including players' individual shifts. All video clips can be edited, shared, and downloaded by the user. Chris has used the platform for years, he trusts it, and so have some of the head coaches he's worked with in the past. So I hope you check them out. And they were also the first to give Hockey Press Pass some love. So please visit instatsport.com hockey today for more info. 
Again, visit instatsport.com slash hockey for more info. Hey guys, it's Pat and I want to tell you about Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village on Long Island's North Shore. A huge selection of hobby and family strategy board games for sale. From old favorites to the hottest new releases. A library of over 400 board games for open play every day. Our staff help you pick out games and show you how to play. Find your crowd at one of our magic, The Gathering, Pokemon, or Dungeons & Dragons events for adults and kids, including our D&D after-school program, offered both virtually and in person. A full-service cafe, food and drink, coffee and desserts, beer and wine, fun and friends. Located at 307 Main Street in Huntington Village, go to MainStreetBoardGameCafe.com for more information. Main Street Board Game Cafe. Unplug your game. Your love for the OHL and, and Canadian hockey, and really actually all hockey, you were terrific with women's hockey and the Premier Hockey Federation, the PW, you know, PWHPA and the national teams. You're, uh, where, where does that complete love that shines through your broadcast, where does that come from? So there's a reason my parents were never on the cover of Modern Parent magazine. So when I was a real, when I was a young kid, Chris, I, it's the, one of my earliest memories is because because I loved it. So this is before the Hockey Hall of Fame moved to uh, to Young and Front Street. Uh, it was in the Canadian National Exhibition Grounds, and I can recall my parents would go to the CNE and they would drop me off there, and I would have you know, I'd have a notebook, Chris, I'd have my pen, and I would sit there. This is you know all pre-internet days, and I would sit there and I would write down like essentially. I would try to transcribe the Hockey Hall of Fame. And I would stay there for hours. I'd watch every video and I'd take notes. I'd look at every plaque and I'd write them down. And uh, I, I don't even know where these things are anymore. It was like book after book after my parents because I thought I was nuts. But I was just so fascinated in documenting all of it. And I loved all of it. I loved, you know, the international hockey because I remember looking at, you know, the different styles of jerseys and different colors and the players look different and they play different. Um, and I've always tried to find and, and look for and try to appreciate, you know, the different shades of the game and never, you know, even growing up, like I never thought that, you know, NHL was hockey. NHL is part of hockey, but capital H hockey is a lot bigger than just the NHL and NHL hockey culture is only one type of hockey culture. I mean, you know this, like, Go to Latvia and compare the Latvian hockey culture to the, it is night and no, not even night and day, it's chalk and cheese, right? It's not apples and oranges, folks, it's chalk and cheese. It's so profoundly different. And there's wonderful hockey cultures uh, all over. And I've always maintained that if I can't find at least one thing in every game of hockey that in, that intrigues me or I enjoy, I'm really not paying attention enough. Like I look at the, the you mentioned the women's game and I love the women's game because I find at times at the NHL level, the game almost becomes too fast to enjoy. And it's sprint, 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 sprint. And there's not a whole lot of east-west flow. And you can't see plays develop. Like, I love Stravinsky because, you know, the melodies rise and fall. And they rise and they fall. And they go away. And all this one because all of a sudden come back. Like, there's there's that type of, of, of timber about the women's game that you don't find in the men's game because the men's game is sprints and it's fast and it's like listen i love that too and it's marvelous but i don't think it has to be an either or decision right like i love the women's game because you can see plays develop because it moves a little bit slower 
and you can see more east-west play, etc. Um, but at every level, like I watch my kids play and I love it mainly because they're my kids and I'm just amazed that at 11 and 9 they can do the things that they're doing, playing AAA hockey that I've never done in my life. I can find love in I, I can find love in hockey in just about anything, and I've always tried to, you know, I've always tried to look for new things, too. Like I, I find that even though as I get older, I try to look more towards like in life. I I think a lot of people do this. You know, when you're younger, you look for differences in things. You look at how things are different. Oh, this is good. This is everything is everything is binary, right? It's either good or it's bad, right? And then you get older and he's more interested in how things are similar. Well, actually, you know, this is more similar to that than I, than I, than I considered. Um, but hockey, I'm always looking for the little uniqueness in every sort of either game or cult, hockey culture or, you know, you know uh, uh, how a different country presents and digests um, their game. Because never, I, I think, Chris, for a second, did I ever think that the NHL was the be all and end all. I love it. And those are the best hockey players in the world, but I just don't think it should be all end all. I totally understand. Uh, my five years with the National Women's Hockey League, working with Danny and with Haley, yeah. uh, where I, I think I re... I actually, I wouldn't say I re-found or reignited my love for the game. I actually came to love it even more. I, I love sitting there and watching those games and, and working with the players. So I, I know where you come from. When when you mention... You know the, the thing about the women's game is, too, what, this is what I love about it. Um, we have no idea how good women can be at this game. And I, I'm, I'm sure you're the same way. I'd like to be part of the process that moves us towards finding out and you know allowing women in an environment where they can make a living wage off of hockey just because it's good for the game to see how good women can be i have i have some optimism that after these next olympics not right after but in 2022 that there'll be some movement on that front and we'll stay in touch on that one and hopefully we could help anyway we can in our in our little ways. You, you mentioned you kind of had a throwaway joke about your parents not being on the cover of uh, Modern yeah. Family magazine. Was that because they kind of let you uh, roam? Is that what you meant by that? Like you 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 got yeah. you, okay? Yeah, right. sir. Yeah, no. They they would just go off and go on the rides and stuff, and I would just like roam around the hockey hall of fame. Like that was my babysitter for the day. <laughs> gotcha. So, okay, I had to follow up on that because obviously the, uh, they are, are. I'm gonna. I'm gonna make the leap that they are special people. You revealed in classic Jeff Merrick fashion, to me out of nowhere in the middle of a podcast with Wyshynski, that your name was originally yeah. Keegan Sean Lachlan, and yes. you and you were adopted seven days after birth. Um, Correct. So. Good prep, Chris. Good prep. Is is your background, you know? I, I guess we're this is the this is the Oprah portion of the show. But it, you know, I, I got to make this about hockey in some way. Is your is your background something that's always informed your life, your world with your beautiful young family, and possibly you know the steps that you've taken in your in your career? Um. It has in one very particular in one very particular sense. So my wife and I, we had um, two kids biologically, and then we adopted a, a two-year-old girl. I've always wanted to. I always wanted to listen. I was I was given a great life by my uh, adopted parents, both of whom have, have since passed. Um, but I was given a tremendous life by them, and I wanted to provide that for someone else. And, you know, working with Children's Day here in Ontario, I knew that the first kid they presented, I was going to say, like there was, 
they present normally a lot of kids and you sort of choose like a menu. I, I always felt really like that was, I, I, I could not say no to a kid. I knew the first, then I told our adoption practitioner, you understand the first kid you present to me, I'm going to say yes. And I'm not even going to want to look at another kid because I can't say no to a kid once that kid's been presented to me. And so we, uh, our practitioner, God, this would have been four years ago, I think three years ago presented uh, presented Jordan to us and my wife has always wanted to adopt too um, I've wanted to for perhaps uh, obvious reasons um, maybe to honor both of my parents um, but I, I can I can recall you know very specifically and I've always sort of carried this with me as well and I'll say the same thing to Jordan um, when she's when she's old enough to, to really get it I remember my parents always saying to me that you know even if you don't want to have any relationship with your mother even if you don't want to have anything to do with her um, at least try to find her. And in Ontario, the, the child can apply when he or she is 18. The mother can apply at Children's Aid for contact immediately. So try to find your biological mom if she wants to make contact with you, just to let her know you're okay. Because for your entire life, she's, you know, every single day she's thought, what happened to my kid? Just give her the peace of mind to say that you're okay. And, and I honored that. So when I was 18 years old, and I was first able to make contact. I went to Children's Aid, and we hooked it up, and we exchanged letters for a number of years. And there was a number of overlaps. She was a journalist in, in Montreal, writing for La Presse and Le Journal, like covering organized crime in Montreal. And a family, our family is, is full of broadcasters. Kathleen Rankin, who was part of this legendary Dick Smythe newsroom at Chum FM for years in Toronto, Kathleen was a was a member of the two sides of the family, the Lachlans and the Rankins. She was on the Rankins. As a matter of fact, when we first you'll love this one, Chris, life, hey. So when I first made contact, Anne Lachlan is my mom's name. When I first made contact with Anne, she's telling the stories and she's on the Rankin side. It's like, well, you have a cousin in Toronto who works at a radio station. And I said, you're not going to tell me Kathleen Rankin. She goes, oh yeah, you know Kathleen. I'm like. I work with Kathleen. I would see Kathleen. We worked at 640 together for years. And so Anne called Kathleen and said, hey, I'm sitting here with your cousin, Jeff Merrick. And she's like, what? She goes, yeah, I, I never told you. I had a I had a kid that I gave up for adoption. You've been working with him for a couple of years. Wild story, eh, Chris? That is absolutely <laughs> amazing. And I don't know if I have this right. Forgive me. Did uh, you try to find your dad, too? It's a tough one. So my mom only knew, my, my biological mom only knew my biological father for a week. This is the late 60s. This is, they met at Piccadilly Square. They were hitchhiking to Scotland. They knew each other for a week. Uh, my mom went to Paris to work as an au pair, and he was on his way to Stockholm to study photography. The name that he told her was different than the name on his passport. So the two names in question are either Vern Clark or Vern Hay. So I'm pretty sure Vern is the name, but is it a Vern Clark or a Vern Hay? I don't know. I've done internet searches yeah. and tried a couple of leads and got in touch with people and dead ends. Maybe Vern's no longer with us. I don't know. Um, you know, for the longest time, I didn't want to. And I thought like I don't want to burden this person at all. And you know, I don't. What if this wrecks their life? I don't. I don't know. I don't want to do that. But now that I'm now that I'm a little older, Chris, I'm maybe a little more interested than I was. So my wife, my wife and I, sort of in whatever spare time we have every now and then, we sort of rekindle the search to try to try to find the elusive Vern. Ah, so you've not closed the book. It's something you still think about. 
Yes, absolutely. Oh, okay. And I don't know why. I mean, it won't affect. I don't think it'll affect my life whatsoever. I've got a great relationship with my mom. She comes to see her grandkids all the time. I go to Montreal with my family, and we go and visit. And it's a great relationship. But uh, I don't know why. But I just I I outside of just satisfying a basic curiosity, like, like who's my dad. I don't know that it would change my life much. Under, understood. Uh, I'm sure they are all very, very proud, Jeff. I, I just want to leave with this one. It's part of uh, the reason for the show, and that's to educate. What would be your, and perhaps you, I'm sure you speak at classes, whether it be at Stouffville or colleges or whatever, but uh, what's your advice to students in terms of just being an on-air, you know, an on-air talent, a host of a show, a talk show, that kind of thing. Like, what, do you have some high line, um, or you can go as deep as you want, of course, but uh, advice. Okay, so the first thing I always do is I tell people to quit. I always tell them they should quit because if me telling them they should quit makes them quit, then they're not gonna they're not gonna do it in this industry. Then they're not right. Like there's the old saying. I'm sure you've heard it before. You know, dogs don't bark at parked cars. Like if you're gonna do this, you have to understand that you're sticking your head up above a crowd. You have to expect that there are gonna people that are, there are gonna be some people um, that throw rocks, and you have to accept that. Like that's 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 part of it. Um, criticism is a large part of what we do and how we handle this. Uh, I remember one. Um, it's actually a yoga teacher that told me this. We were talking about broadcasting says well how do you handle criticism i said oh, i can kind of tai chi the whole thing like every now and then it kind of bugs you but generally i can i just sort of say it's the cost of doing business and she said and i've always told this to the classes too she said listen the one thing you have to remember is there are going to be people in your broadcasting career there's going to be people that love you and there's going to be people that hate you the one thing you have to understand is none of it has anything to do with you it's just where they're at in their life. You just happen to be standing there at that moment. I've always remember that. People will love you. People will hate you. None of it has anything to do with you. Um, but as far as far as doing the job, I mean, the best thing you can get is reps. You know this, Chris. I mean, all anyone really needs is is airtime. You know, Miles Davis used to always talk about how sometimes it takes years until someone can find their own voice. Right, like the Rolling Stones started off as like what a Muddy Waters tribute band. They just wanted to be blues guys ripping off blues musicians and you know playing twelve bar blues, and it turned into one of the greatest rock and roll experiences of all time. No one's themselves when they when they start, and you sort of talk yourself into being yourself over your over the course of your career. So I always say, look, don't get frustrated. It takes a long time to be comfortable. There are little tricks that I sort of picked up along the way. Um, some of the best advice I got you know, early in my career was, you know, next time you're in your car, turn your radio off and start talking and just made moments of your life. Just like take the next five minutes and just talk like you're doing a show and you'll find out how many pet words you have, how many times you talk yourself into a corner, how you try to talk yourself out of like make as many of your mistakes, you know, when no one's watching and there are marvelous tools now for everybody online. You can go and make your own podcast. It doesn't matter if nobody's listening to it. What you're doing is you're teaching yourself how to broadcast and you're giving yourself reps and you're making yourself comfortable presenting your ideas with your voice. So I always tell everyone, A, quit, and B, if that doesn't scare you off because it shouldn't, um, make podcasts. You know, and, and don't worry if no one's listening. It's better if they're not because you're going to be bad 
be bad when no one's around, right? Make yeah. make all do all your crappy broadcasting <laughs> when 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 no one's there, and you know, like understand that you know this isn't you know we're not putting you know a man and woman on the moon here. This isn't this isn't you know sophisticated surgery that we're performing. We're just trying to communicate with other human beings and trying to you know understand each other a little bit more and essentially in the long run just sort of teaching ourselves how to walk each other home more than anything else and try to understand each other along the way beautifully put and uh, great advice of uh, producer pad boyle who's He's done overnights at WFAN and shifts here and shifts there in a, a podcast on 20 different uh, sports. He was nodding uh, very rigorously the whole time when you talked about reps and going on. And he's now, That's all we need. Yeah. That's, that's all anybody needs. You just need at-bats. You just need at-bats. Right? I say that to everybody. You just need experience. You just need at-bats. I mean, when I started, like, there wasn't there wasn't any of it. Right? Like, I... There's no opportunity to go to like some small market and make a bunch of mistakes. Now, like you have all these tools at your disposal. I remember doing editing. It was like reel to reel and razor blade and tape and chalk and uh, re-rack it for like, now it's click and it's done. <laughs> like, it, it, I sound like an old man when I do this kind of stuff, but like all the tools and tools are there for these kids. And is that right, Pat? Like the more, the more you do these shows, the more you're on, you feel yourself getting better. And what about like the words he talked about? Like you learn words that you say too much. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, you know, you said sure. it perfectly, Jeff, the more that you do it, it's just, it's like riding a bike, you know, you just get better and better at it and you find, uh, you know, your pet peeves, you find your ticks, and you find a way to overcome them and just, talk more conversationally and and be more persuasive, be more effective in delivering a message. You know what the hardest thing is to do, and, and this is a real skill, and there's some, and you guys have, I'm sure like I'll, for my money, the example that I would use is a guy by the name of Bob McCowan uh, here in Canada, but I'm sure you have your own versions of Bob McCowan as well. The one, the hardest thing to do um, is to get comfortable with silence. Get comfortable with pausing, get comfortable with stopping, because when we all start, and even we carry this with us our whole careers, we think that if we stop talking, people will leave. When really the opposite is true. Like, what's the only thing that gets you to lean into a radio show or a podcast when there's silence? Like, I think Dan Carlin, for my money, is the best podcaster in the world. And he play. you can tell he has, like, you know, acting training in his background. It's very animated when he speaks. But he plays with silence really well. Ba, 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 ba. silence and a close like it's 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 beautiful like it's it's musical it's it's lyrical getting comfortable with this it's hard it's right for people right <laughs> people, you get in the back of your head like uh oh, oh. There's, there's no words coming out now, so they're going to turn this off. And Pat sometimes does those overnight shows where the Knicks have lost, the Rangers have lost, the Islanders have lost, so he, he does sometimes have to do the energy thing. But there's something to be said yeah. for that, too. As you say, there's all different kinds of shows. Yeah, 100%. This has been like a... What's that, Pat? This has been like a classroom session for me here when you speak, man. I wonder you're top of the charts. Oh, please. It does. I'm just... 
I'm faking the funk. But it's, uh, I know you got to go, and I kept you too long, and thank you, and say hi to Elliot and Greg and everybody else I kept you from. Not to think that you only hang out with those two guys, but we did. <laughs> I am now. I'm going, I'm, going, I'm going to Duffy's here in West Palm. But we did come full circle. We did, we did come full circle. You didn't mean to, but I talked to you about poise in the beginning and what you were good at, and that's exactly how we ended, because that is what you do well, one of the many things you do well. Jeff Merrick, thank you so much. You gave me extra time, one minute would have been nice. Uh, 45 minutes when you have dinner reservation uh, means the world. Thank you, sir. And I, I hope we could talk again. We are all born, Chris, with two lives, and our second life begins when we realize we only have one. Thank you, be sir. Well, you be well. All right. We appreciate Jeff Merrick so much for coming on. What a fantastic episode. And that will just about do it for us here in 2021. It's been so much fun so far bringing you guys this podcast on behalf of Chris and Danny and Ksenia and everybody else that's part of this show and a part of this process. We here from Hockey Press Pass want to wish you a Merry Christmas, a Happy Holidays, a Happy New Year. We'll have two more brand new episodes and a new Islanders 4 check coming up for you in the first week of January. Might have to do an Islanders forecheck before that if the Islanders can't figure it out. (laughs) But at least we do have the holidays to distract us from how poorly that they have continued to play here over the last week or so. So, ending on a positive note, again, on behalf of the entire team here at Hockey Press Pass, this is Pat Boyle. Thank you so much for listening. Happy holidays, happy new year, and we've got new episodes coming for you in January on Hockey Press Pass. (laughs) 